Let us pray. Almighty God, draw near to us this day. And once more, pour Your Spirit upon us. Fill us with His presence. That our hearts and minds, our souls and bodies would be utterly and completely renewed. That our thoughts and our ways would continually be directed upon Your paths and toward Yourself. That we would ever look to Your Son, Jesus Christ, as our strength, as our power, as our Redeemer and Savior. And so meet us this day and dwell with us by Your Spirit and help us to embrace the work He is doing in us and in our midst. All of this we ask through that very same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Over in John chapter 16, Jesus tells His disciples, It is better for you that I leave. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Jesus leaves so that the Holy Spirit will come. And that is what we're here to hear about today. To hear of that Holy Spirit coming down to His people. And in coming down to the apostles, He comes to us as well because they carry forth the Word of God. They carry forth the Word that the Holy Spirit has inspired. And out of that Word that He has inspired, He Himself comes to His people. It's something that all works together that we have to look back to, that we have to hear of the Spirit, that we come to know the Spirit, that the Spirit comes to work in us, and He is who empowers and brings us to accomplish what Christ has called us to do. The Holy Spirit is someone who's hard to nail down. Everyone likes to talk about how the Holy Spirit is working or how the Spirit has led them to do this or that and Sometimes I don't think people get what the Spirit is really about. The Spirit isn't leading us to do things in order to make Himself known. All the things that He does in us is intended to draw us to Christ, to turn our eyes to Jesus. And whatever He does in the church, the purpose of that is to turn people's eyes toward the cross, toward Christ, toward His work, not toward glorious, spectacular displays of power, but to turn us toward Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit that we might be led to believe. That is the great and foundational work of the Holy Spirit, that we would believe that Jesus is from the Father. And He gives us that very Spirit to guide us into greater works after that. And those greater works are making known Jesus. And then the capstone of it all, is that Jesus gives us His Holy Spirit to be with us forever. To dwell with us, to dwell in us, to unite us to Himself in a deep and abiding relationship, in a deep and abiding spiritual union through which the life of Christ flows into us by the power of that Spirit. And so in these great works of the Spirit that we hear about today, They're works that don't point us to look at the Spirit, to try to pin down the Spirit, to try to find Him. 
But they are works that direct us toward Jesus. That direct us toward being related to Him. That direct us toward making Him known. That direct us toward the reality that He dwells in us through that Spirit. The Spirit does nothing of His own accord. The Spirit does nothing to draw attention to Himself. But He magnifies Jesus. And the work that He does directs us to Jesus. And the work that we then do by the power of the Spirit should always direct others to Jesus this day. And so Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit that we would be led to believe in Him. That word belief occurs quite a bit in Scripture, simply meaning to trust in what Christ has done. Here in our Gospel lesson today, Jesus said, Believe in Me that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me. And then in verse 12, He says, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. Faith is foundational to everything that we do as a Christian. Faith is foundational for our activities. But how does that faith come to be? Where does that faith come from in our hearts, in our minds? It comes from the work of the Spirit Himself in us. That He comes to us, the Spirit works new life into us. In the few verses right before where we picked up in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 3, St. Paul said, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is who empowers us to believe. The Spirit is the one who empowers us to follow Christ. And again, that's exactly what we saw in our reading from Acts. The Spirit coming down upon His disciples and then being empowered to preach, to speak the good news, to declare what Christ has done. And they did it in a mighty and amazing way. The Spirit came in like a rushing wind upon them and divided as flames above their heads. Fire settling over each of the disciples that day. And they began speaking in other languages so that all the people gathered there in Jerusalem would hear the proclamation of the Gospel. Because it was the season of Pentecost. It was the day of Pentecost that this happened. That first great festival following Passover when the first fruits were brought into the temple and were offered as a sacrifice to God. They were brought in. The tithe was brought in as a sacrifice to God there on this day of Pentecost. And so, people from all over the world had gathered to celebrate this event. They had come for Passover and many of them would just stay over for Pentecost. And so they hear these people suddenly start speaking in their own tongues, in their own languages, their own natural languages from all over the Roman Empire. That's why they list it out. They say, these are just Galileans, aren't they? And we're Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Lydia belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians, all these people spoke different languages. They all had common languages so that they could communicate easily with each other, but they each had 
their own native languages. And that is what they heard the Word of God being proclaimed in. They were confused and perplexed by this great and glorious display. They didn't understand what was happening. And so Peter stands up and preaches his Pentecost sermon telling them this is what's happening. This is a fulfillment of what God had promised through the prophet Joel. That in the last days the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, on all people. The Spirit would come down. That there would be prophecy, there would be visions, there would be dreams. Wonders in the heavens above. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The pouring out of the Spirit isn't for the sake of visions. The pouring out of the Spirit isn't for the sake of dreams and prophecies. The pouring out of the Spirit here is so that the name of the Lord would be made known. And in making known the name of the Lord, everyone could call upon it and be saved. Anyone can call upon the Lord because they hear of Him, they know of Him, they discover Him. And that's what Peter goes on to reveal in the rest of his sermon that we didn't hear, was how Jesus is the Messiah, how He was crucified and died, but He was risen. He was raised back to life, uncorrupted, into incorruption, into immortality. And that though David died, who prophesied of this coming one, and he is in the tomb, but nonetheless he saw the day. He looked forward to that day and saw the resurrection of Christ and knew that Christ would not be abandoned. And how do these people respond of hearing of the work of Christ? They cry out, what to do? What do we do? What shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The movement of the Spirit that day was to draw others to Jesus. To draw others to know the work of Jesus. To be changed, to be drawn into repentance, to receive forgiveness of sins. That is why Jesus gives His Holy Spirit, is to make Himself known that we might believe. That we would be led to believe and that we would be led to repent. That we would be led to walk in the path that Christ has called us into. And in calling us into that path, He also guides us into greater works. That Jesus gives us that Spirit to guide us into greater works than even Jesus did. I know we heard about this just a couple of weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, some of these aspects of this passage. But Jesus said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus echoes that idea, like I said at the very beginning, it's better, it's for your benefit that I leave. We are led, the disciples were led into greater works because Jesus went to the Father. And in Jesus going to the Father, He sent His Spirit to dwell with His people. And they were led into greater works. Now Jesus isn't denying that He did great works, that He was crucified, that He died, that He was raised again, that He ascended into heaven all to accomplish the forgiveness of sin, to take away the sin of the world. I can't imagine a greater work than that. But when Jesus here is speaking of the greater works of the disciples, He's talking about in earthly terms, in the earthly ministry that they are going to do, that Jesus had an earthly ministry. And He only ministered there 
in that little strip of land between Galilee and Judea. That is where He ministered. He didn't go to the ends of the earth. He didn't travel all over the world telling people about the Father. No, He just ministered there. He performed healings. He performed all kinds of acts of goodness. Just there, in that land that is traditionally known as Israel. There is where He worked. But He will empower His disciples to go beyond those means, to go beyond those bounds. When the Spirit comes, they will be sent forth into all Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the world. They will proclaim the message of the Gospel. They will make Jesus known throughout all the world. The disciples went throughout the world to preach the work of Jesus. And out of all those who would hear that work, many became believers and they were saved. The disciples will go out and preach the completed work of Christ. And that's something that not even Christ could do. Not directly anyway. Jesus couldn't preach His completed work because He had not completed it. He had not died and been raised again. But the disciples get to preach that truth. They get to preach that gospel to the world. All the way down to us, we get to do those very things, those very good works, those greater works of preaching and proclaiming the complete work of Christ to all who will listen, to all who will hear and draw them into belief by the power of the Holy Spirit working. But I think there's even a deeper sense of greater works that we hear about today. Over in 1 Corinthians, we hear about the varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. These greater works are works that, again, are not to detract from who Jesus is. And that is what was happening in the city of Corinth, in the church at Corinth. They had all kinds of wonderful, glorious spiritual gifts, and yet they were fighting with each other. They were at odds with one another. There were jealousies. There were strivings against each other because some had some gifts, others had other gifts, and everyone wanted these glorious gifts. Everyone wanted to be seen, to be known, to be looked upon. But that's not the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is not to give gifts that we would ooh and ah at the person performing such and such task, but that we would have our eyes lifted to Jesus. That all of the gifts are equal with one another at the end of the day because all of the gifts are intended to drive us to Jesus. And Paul makes that point. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Regardless of what gifts you have, regardless of the great acts you do, and regardless of the services you do, it all boils down to one Spirit working in each and every one of us. Whether someone has the gift of miracles, or the gift of healing, or the gift of speaking, or the gift of service, or the gift of being in the background doing the quiet little things that no one ever sees, those are all gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit Himself. And they are all equal with one another in making known Jesus. They are not meant to create strivings and jealousies between God's people. Because each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the good of all. For the good of the church. If the gifts you have received are causing strife in the church, then you need to ask God what you are doing wrong. 
Because your gifts should not cause strife. Your gifts should not cause disruption. Your gifts should not cause jealousies between the peoples. If the things that you are doing, that you are claiming are being done by the Spirit in you, are not creating the common good, then it is not the Spirit at work in you. If you are not serving toward the common good of the church, then you are not listening to the true Spirit. You are not following the work that Christ has truly given us to do. But alongside that, calling to the common good, all of the gifts are intended to work together with each other. That's what struck me about this list that Paul gives. He doesn't give a complete list of the works of the Holy Spirit. He leaves out a lot of things. He just kind of hones in maybe on things that were causing problems there in Corinth. He speaks of utterances of wisdom and utterances of knowledge. Great faith by the Spirit and great healing and great miracles by the same Spirit. Prophecy and the ability to distinguish between spirits. Various kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Those all go together. You don't have speaking in tongues without someone who interprets, Paul says. And he doubles down on that in chapter 14. That the one who speaks in tongues, if he knows that there is not an interpreter, that person who can speak in tongues should hold his tongue. He should not speak out unless there is an interpreter. And the Spirit will reveal that to him as he leads him to speak in tongues. The one who can speak in tongues is to work with the one who can interpret those tongues. The one who can utter wisdom is to work with the one who can utter knowledge. For what good is wisdom if you have no knowledge? And what good is knowledge if you have no wisdom? They work together. Our gifts are intended to complement one another as we work together in a church, as we live together as the people of God. We complement one another in these greater works that the Lord has given us to do. And thus we are knit together into one body to do these greater works, baptized by the one Spirit into this one body, made to drink of that very Spirit. Jesus has given us that Spirit to unite us together and thus to drive us into greater works, to send us into greater works. Works that complement one another and encourage and build up the good of the church. What the Spirit has inspired in you, what the Spirit has given to you, you are to use for the church. Just as the Spirit leads you to believe, you are to work now for the church's good and to lead and help the church in all that she does. And lastly, in our passages, we hear of this one final thing that the Spirit is given to do. The Spirit is given to be a helper who will be with us forever. Think about that. The Spirit doesn't just descend and leave like He does in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, think of the stories of Samson. The Spirit suddenly rushed upon him and he did great works and then the Spirit left. The Spirit would rush upon him and he'd do great works again. And then the Spirit would leave. The Spirit seemed to come and go with these great acts of power. Now, that doesn't mean the Spirit wasn't at work in the Old Testament. For after all, if our theology is consistent, the Spirit is the one who renews our hearts. The Spirit is the one who implants faith. The Spirit is the one who draws us to discover the promises of God and to know those promises. That means that the Spirit was at work throughout the Old Testament silently and quietly in the background, inspiring God's people 
through the word that God had given them, through the covenants that God had given them, the Spirit was at work. But here the Spirit comes to dwell with God's people in an explicit way. The Spirit comes to dwell in God's people in a new kind of way. And He comes to dwell with us forever. You see, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. At this point, I might have been like, wait, another Helper? Who's the first Helper, Jesus? But none of the disciples asked that. Maybe they knew who the first Helper was. Maybe they understood already in some dim way that Jesus is the Paraclete. He is the Advocate. He is the first Helper. Certainly by the time John writes his first epistle, he understands that. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is the one that is the first and primary helper, for He goes to the cross and dies for our sins and is raised for our justification. But here He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give another helper. And that helper will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. The paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the counselor. All of that comes together as one who comes alongside us in our need. One who comes alongside us to bring us help and counsel. To give us strength to defend us and assist us in all that we are called to do in following Christ. The Spirit is the Helper who comes to dwell with God's people. To renew our hearts and minds and to strengthen us to obey Christ. For this passage centers on that sense of obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus calls us to walk in a path of obedience. I think the main commandment He is thinking about here is what He just had told them in chapter 13 during supper. Love me. Love each other as I have loved you. I think that's the main commandment that's on his mind. But that is simply a summation of all the commandments. Love one another as Jesus has loved you. He laid down His life for you. Lay down your life for one another. Deny yourself in order that others would be lifted up. It's the essence of the Ten Commandments. The commandments are communal. They are actions that we perform in the midst of community. And so we love one another and those Ten Commandments reveal to us how that love is to be acted out amongst ourselves. And so the paraclete comes alongside us to guide us in obedience, to guide us in that keeping of Christ's commandments, to dwell with us forever so that we can then follow Christ, so that we can then know who Jesus is. The Spirit dwells with us to teach us who Jesus is so that we can then follow Christ so we can then do the work He has given us to do, so that we can always and confidently trust in this Jesus. I love what Jesus goes on to say here in chapter 14 of John. I will not leave you as orphans. Because I live, you also will live. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me and I in you. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
All of that flows out of this Helper who comes to us to dwell with us forever, to unite us to Christ. That though Christ has ascended into heaven, yet through the Spirit's indwelling presence, we have the very presence of Christ with us now. Jesus comes to us continually through that Spirit. Jesus comes to us continually because He is truly God. And though He has stepped behind the veil and entered into the heavens and gone into the Holy of Holies, He pours out His Spirit upon us. As something of earth went into heaven, something of heaven comes back to earth. And that is the Holy Spirit dwelling in God's people who has come from Jesus Himself. And Jesus gives us that Spirit to lead us to believe that Jesus is from the Father, that He is our Savior, that He is our Redeemer. He gives us that Spirit to drive us into greater works that will make known the name of Jesus. And He gives us that Spirit to dwell with us, to unite us to Himself, that we would know Jesus more deeply and to continue that cycle of trusting and going forth to do those great works. And so Jesus has given us His Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, who pours out gifts as He wills, and who has given out myriads of gifts to His church and calls us to use them for the common good now, that Jesus would be made known. And so may this day as we know the Spirit's presence, may we make Jesus known in our lives. May we make Him known through our lives. May He be known through our words and our love for one another. For that Spirit dwells with us and dwells in us forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.